Assalamualaikum and a warm welcome from Sukun, the Muslim Wellness Podcast by Nasimco, broadcasting live from the 39th Annual Muslim Group of Canada and the USA Conference in Chicago, Illinois. I'm your host, Farhana Kasamali, and I'm delighted to guide you through this transformative journey towards holistic wellness within an Islamic framework. In each mini-episode this week, we'll engage in meaningful conversations with community leaders, experts, and mental health professionals who will share their wisdom, stories, and personal journeys on the path to wellness. As we embark on this journey, let's reflect on the words of the Quran, so verily with every difficulty there is relief. Verily, with every difficulty there is relief. Surah Al-Insha'a, verses five through six. Join me every month as we initiate these vital discussions to promote the well-being and healing of our community. Together, we'll explore ways to heal individually, internally, and collectively in unity. A quick note for our listeners, this episode may contain discussions on themes such as depression, anxiety, and other potentially triggering topics. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support, please refer to our show notes for valuable resources. Now, without further ado, I'm truly honored to introduce our esteemed guest, Syed Hassan Rizvi. Syed Rizvi was born and raised in New Jersey. He attended Rutgers College in New Jersey and graduated in 2007 with his BA in political science and his minor in computer science. While in college, he focused his studies on politics and religion in the Middle East and the Islamic world. He studied subjects such as Islamic jurisprudence, Arab-Israeli conflict, democracy and reform in post-revolutionary Iran, American foreign policy, democracy and violence in the Islamic world. Syed Hassan begins his, began his formal Islamic studies in 2010 at the Imam Ali al-Islam Seminary in Orlando, Florida and graduated in 2012. Syed studied general Islamic sciences with a focus on intellectual sciences income from 2014 to 2020. He has done private research on Western issues, the league methodology, Islamic parenting, Islamic education, and spiritual psychology. And he has been serving as the resident alum for the Husseini Islamic Center in Orlando, Florida since April 2020. Welcome, Sayed, and thank you for joining us. I did want to get started on the question of how you got into this field. I think it's always interesting when people take a path and say, you know, I'm not going to go down the normal career of uni and go get a corporate job, work nine to five kind of thing. Like what made you interested in becoming kind of a spiritual leader? So, you know, for a lot of other students who go to the Hausa, usually it's because their father or someone else in their family, there's a background in there. I think for a lot of professions, it's like that too, right? Kind of runs in the family. Uh, we never had like that, had that any of our family members. My father wasn't, uh, not that I know of, at least of our grandparents or ancestors were involved in things like that. Uh, and even myself, I was, so when I started college, uh, I know you had mentioned, but so computer science used to be my, ma my major. Yeah. So I had the normal sort of track of, all right, I'm going to get a job, work. I even had an internship with uh, some big corporation and doing all this other stuff. Like, so I left had kind of one track. I wasn't really super interested in religion going up yeah. either. I grew up in a traditional, like, Desi household where it was religion, but I'd say most, mostly a cultural version of religion. Okay. Um, not completely non-practicing, but not like full on what I guess the default kind of template of religiosity is, right? Right. So uh, I, I had fallen kind of out with religion as I was growing up too. And then in college, I was borderline atheist. Uh, I was pretty much almost done with it. 
but uh, you know, my mom, she kind of kept, she's like, look, I know you're not super interested in this stuff, but at least just try to read like a line of Quran in English a day, just do yeah. something. Yeah. Just pray every day, to, you know, just keep this bare minimum stuff. And you know, you know, I would say that the, a mother's dua is more important than anything, and I definitely think that's the case. So at some point during college, uh, I kind of realized that, okay, I like politics and I like discussions and, yeah. and research and stuff like that. And then you can't really separate religion and politics, it's impossible. So yeah. just kind of by default, I ended up researching a lot more in rap religion, although it started more with uh, Christianity and their sort of Renaissance politics and things like that. And then obviously Islam came along with it too. So I started jumping into things like, okay, do I actually believe in this stuff or not? And then I started watching a lot of debates between atheists and Muslims, things like that. And then yeah. I was like, okay, so it's not just this stuff that I've been force fed since I was a kid, those questions I couldn't get answered. There's actually more to this. There are deeper levels to this. So I said, okay, maybe I should do some more yeah. research. And fast forward, I did more and more, kind of switched my major as well too, because uh, I wanted to focus on that. Uh, and then after college, after I'd graduated, I mean, most people who have liberal arts, liberal arts degrees know you don't, you don't really get a job with no, that. No, you don't. <laughs> so uh, I said, okay, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to go back to school, master's, yeah. want to do education, yeah. work NGO? I wasn't really sure. At that point, some people had kind of uh, brought to my attention, some local scholars were visiting New Jersey uh, as well. They were like, well, if you have this interest, you're born and raised here. We don't have too many born and raised people who are interested in this stuff. Right. Your background too, the fact that you were not interested really, and you weren't so practicing, is probably going to be helpful. Yeah. So, in uh, this... This one specific island, I don't want to name him, but he was somebody that came from overseas, right? So he's in typical like immigrant uh, island. Yeah. He said, look, our generation of those who have kind of come over here and are trying to carry the torch, it's not really working out. Yeah. He's like, you're going to have to do that now. So I never had thought about wow. that. So, okay, makes sense. And then he said, you know what? I think it's wajib for you. And I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> All right. It's a little intense, but I thought about it. I enjoyed the research. I enjoyed questioning. Yeah. And he even said, look, even the questions that you have, you're not going to get the answers from me. You're not going to find it in these English books. You're gonna to have to go to the sources. Yeah. And your job now is to go get it from the sources and bring it back over here and try to spread it in at least the language and method of delivery, which is conducive to the West. So, so he had a huge impact on you. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was, you know, a few key ulama that I think definitely had that impact that were coming and kind of living, leaving like these little pieces of advice and wisdom that I think you know, have stayed with me since then. Yeah. So do you feel that responsibility towards kind of the next generation, kind of as you moved from New Jersey to Florida? Did you see that, yes, the youth really are in need, whether it's youth in their teens now or, you know, your age group, 20s, 30s, did you feel like they need someone of your age rather than the older kind of group? Did you feel that other people were kind of feeling as lost as maybe you were? So definitely that's the case. The, I mean, look, everybody has their own specific issues, but I mean, if you just look at basic statistics, the kind of issues, at least that I had, typical stuff that I don't understand, the proofs that they're giving, the Eastern way of going about things, which is kind of more blind faith. I know it's a simple, simplistic way, an yeah. oversimplified way of describing it, but yeah, that's generally how it is. And the Western way usually requires a bit more clarification, explanation, elaboration, where let's say they want some more uh, rational or scientific explanations about things. And that's initially how I started, how I wanted it. And I, still to this day, what I kind of realize is that it's not just youth I mean, I don't like that term anymore, but it's not yeah. just younger people that like that. It's actually a lot of elder people who want that too. Yeah. Generally, people are looking for more than what's been offered before. So, and I mean, it kind of makes sense. The reason I think, uh, again, it's just a, a thought from my experience, my limited experiences, but the reason a lot of demographics, the younger ones, are quote unquote lost, if you want to use that kind of random term, it's because, let's say, their parents really didn't know what to do, which was the case for my parents. Right. They did the best they could, and they blessed them both. They tried what they could, but they, didn't, they weren't really equipped to raise kids in the West. What were, right. were, were going to do? Like, they never got questioned by an atheist in Pakistan. Like, how are they going to know what to do with yeah. that over here? 
So they weren't really raised on principles of, let's say, mental health issues or tarbiyah and, and yeah. parenting. People weren't discussing that stuff in the East. So to expect something like that out of them, I think, is, is, is unfair. Right. Uh, and then even, so even the idea of youth versus elder speaker, I think even that depends too. Because what you find as well is that what people study in the houses is going to differ as well too, right? Right. Uh, some people may decide they want to focus on some things like, okay, there are people who love the Quran, okay, yeah. so people specialize in it. That's oh, great. Okay. But if somebody already has this disconnect, they're not really super interested in Islam in the first place, they're not going to speak the language of the Quran, right? Yeah. You can quote ayat after ayat to them. It's not going to really matter. That's not a yeah. proof for them. So a somebody kind of, or at least the way I wanted to be, was kind of understand the Islamic sources and see how connections can be made to, let's say, more modern or postmodern types of languages to deliver it that way to, to people. And that can be done by people who are older, people who are younger. It just really depends on somebody's own kind of proclivities, dispositions, what they research, what they like. Yeah, and I think it was the language barrier too, because I grew up in Dubai, and I remember getting the Urdu-speaking yelling Molanas, yeah, which yeah. didn't quite, you know, neither did you understand it, and it didn't really seem like you wanted to really understand yeah. it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but you're right, I think the teen group and the 20s, 30s, 40s, I think we're all kind of facing this kind of, um, how do we fit into this society, how do we deal with these issues, like, you know, if my child comes up to me and said, I saw, you know, this at the mall, how do I go about living this life and, it, and encouraging the Islamic framework and all those aspects. Um, so what do you think is the biggest crisis facing? It, I mean, it's the nature of any sort of these discussions, right? So there's, you know, there's the kind of piggybacking off of the previous like questions and answers, right? So there's the typical, let's say, cookie cutter, I'll call it kind of like the fast food drive-through answers that are usually given for these things. Yeah. Like, oh, the biggest crisis is identity. Okay. Cool, we can say that. Or the biggest crisis is connection or like there's a lot of ways of framing it. Yeah. But I think every single one of them, there's some sort of bias which is informing it in the first place, right? Right. I don't know if we can even say that there's a biggest crisis necessarily. Right. Every single community is dealing with something different. And sure, a variety can, as well. Yeah, there's a variety of issues. So if let's say you have one community and they've had, let's say, a resident alim there since, let's say, a, a person was young, so they've grown up with resident alim, yeah. visiting speakers, typical, what we would call a thriving community. So that's happening. To say that there's some biggest crisis, like, okay, if, yeah, somebody's growing up, some kid, as he was young, I mean, there's very few communities like this, but imagining there was some resident alim there, typical programs, Thursday, right. Thursday night, there's the Dua Kumail, Ramadan, all that typical stuff. Right. Maybe they have outside people coming in, something like that. Right. But now this person is dealing with they could be dealing with anything. Could be some mental health issue. And maybe there's no resource in the community available because yeah. of the nature of the community. Or maybe they have resources that, okay, maybe there was, in, within the community they had therapists or resources available for them to do that. But let's just say the com community members, because of, let's say, a lack of Islamic etiquette and akhlaq, even if a person went to that, they would be looked at uh, negatively. Yes, yeah. Okay, well, that's a separate issue then. Um, you could say, somebody could say, okay, there's a lot of, let's say, sin that's happening in this community, whether it's related to somebody's private stuff, whether it's the way that they're public, right. there's a million things like that. Okay, yeah. that that's, could be an issue for, for somebody, but then you want to say, okay, well, is that symptom or is it like the actual disease? What are we looking yeah. at here? Uh, if you're looking at other communities where there's been no alim there, it's easy to say that because there's no alim, that's why there's all these issues. But, well, that could it's also be a default answer. Too. Yeah, and then there are some that, sorry to say, because there is a alim or pseudo alim or pseudo speaker some figurehead present sometimes that actually causes the issue in the first place right so i think every community i mean just the same way like i think spiritual health and quote unquote physical health 
Yeah. They look the same way. Like you can have general pieces of advice and general issues. Like, okay, you can talk about the issue of obesity and overeating yeah. in America. Like, okay, that's a, definitely a crisis. Yeah. Or a lack of nutritional understanding. That's definitely the case. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is informed by a certain mindset that, let's say, the general American population has. And, you know, it's capitalism, consumerism, there's a whole bunch of other things that go along with it. Yeah. For spiritual health, it's the same thing, right? You can right. call out a lot of symptoms which are similar in almost any community, whether they have an item or not. And then there are some deeply profound diseases that are there that maybe just haven't been addressed. So I would say, if I'm going to say biggest crisis, I'd say a, a lot of it has to do, I think, with a lack, a lack of depth and breadth in somebody's Islamic understanding. Whether it's the community themselves or even the people that are educating them on Islam. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, yeah, there's a lot out there and there's just so much going on in terms of, you know, we're bombarded with information. We're just constantly seeing things and it's not the same as when, you know, maybe you and I were growing up and, you know, the TVs in the family rooms who the parents can monitor what their kid was. It's not like that anymore. No. Totally different generation, totally different problems. Is there a good way that you've come across to kind of connect with the youth? Someone had mentioned to me you play Super Mario Brothers. Well, this is a rumor spread. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so I mean, at our own center, we've done like uh, a few game nights, and so what I've seen with a lot of centers and their youth programming, it's let's have the bait, which is either you know food, games, or both, sports, something like that. Yeah. So and we're gonna throw in a lecture too. So sit down, have an Islamic discussion, and something yeah. like that. I said, look. We have to figure figure out what demographics you're trying to attract. So, so this specific game night thing was more for like younger kids, right? Yeah. Like um, either preteens and maybe a few teenagers as well too. And we're like, look, it's just a game night. Bring whatever board games you want. Bring your Switch. Bring whatever. I mean, yeah. when we had yeah. it, some kids even brought their own TVs, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh my god! And how did they bring them in? Uh, just just... It's those small ones. It wasn't like, oh, right, it wasn't like an right. eighty-five inch. Okay, <laughs> no, okay, no, okay. I, my vision. Okay. No, no, it's <laughs> a tiny portable sort of TV okay. thing, right? So yeah, they would bring this in, all these youth would come, sit down, yeah. order pizza, and that's it. So sitting down, playing, that's all I was doing. Yeah. I mean, uh, and again, forgive me for whoever thinks this is blasphemous, I don't think I said the word Allah once. Like, right. there was no Islam or anything there. Right. In the sense of me explicitly talking about it. Right. It's just a youth game night, we're sitting there, and that's, that's it. it. I'm yeah. not forcing myself, but I like playing games. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not forcing even doing this too. I play, I'm a gamer, so I play games. Okay. I don't get as much time, but yeah, I still do it. Okay. So I'm like, okay, sitting there, playing them, showing them that, yeah, I can, Beat you at Mario Kart. That's what we were playing Mario okay, Kart. At least okay. this, this most recent one, right? All right. Show the kids that look, man. They're like, you don't know what you're doing, but yeah. <laughs> so and then yeah, different card games and board games. I'm a board gamer too. Um, okay. My wife and I enjoy that stuff. So yeah, we, yeah. we play these kind of things, and uh, and that's pretty much it. And then within that, at least one or two times, kids will just randomly ask questions if they want to. Okay. Or at, at some point, some of the older kids are like, hey, we're sitting in the back. Can you come sit with us? And we want to talk yeah. about a few things. Okay, sure. But I'm never just kind of imposing it like that. You're not the one prompting it. Yes. Which I think is the way that some people think it has to be approached, where you have to force them into the situation and magically this Islam is just going to sprout out from them. Yeah. Like, I don't think it, maybe I could be wrong, but it's just based on, you know, some experience. I don't think it works like that. Yeah. If, and this is for any demographic. If you're already interested, you'll sit, you'll come to a conference like this, you'll listen yeah. to a podcast like this, you'll yeah. go out of, your, out of your way, listen to lectures, seminars, workshops, books, whatever it is, articles, uh, you'll travel, you'll go for ziyad, you'll do all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. If you don't have that interest, you're probably not going to put in very much effort at all. Yeah. Even if you're dragged in, there's a small chance that maybe somebody wakes up and changes because of it. But even there, I think it's the statistics are not really in that person's favor. It's okay. usually they have a specific lifestyle, they enjoy that lifestyle, and Islam, and again, I'm not judging the person, but I'm saying Islam's not really a major part of that. Yeah. So to get somebody like that, whether they're older or younger, is to say, look, 
I also, I'm part of this lifestyle too. It's not like it's outside that there's some religious version of me and then there's some like secular version. Like, no, this is what I do. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. That, that, I think that's the dichotomy that people struggle with often. Um, it's the, you know, this is me when I'm in school yeah. and this is me when I'm at mosque. This is me in front of my relatives and this is me when I'm out with my friends. That creates mental torture to me. Yeah. Like, it's just scary to me to see that I had to wrestle with it. When I see kids today having to wrestle and then do the social media and the pressures of that to fit in, I'm just like, that's a lot on your mind. To, how do you navigate those things? And have, are you seeing kind of that thing like in front of you? Just these people who are like, you see them outside and you're like, that's not who you were in the mosque. <laughs> like, or they don't say hello to you because they're with their friends. Yeah. So let's go to, the, I guess, both the negative and positive of that, right? Yeah. So putting on, let's say, different faces. Sometimes yeah. we usually wear two-faced uh, is a negative thing. Right. It doesn't always have to be negative. There are people, you can wear different hats and I think it's necessary. Yeah. So yes, the way that I'll talk to, let's say my uh, elders, uncles, aunts, my mom was, my people was all that. Yeah. I'm gonna speak one way. Yeah. When I'm with, let's say somebody from uh, my older brother, older sister generation might be slightly different. Right. If I speak to somebody from my own generation, it'll be slightly different. Uh, somebody younger, slightly different. And all that all depends on their level of interest in things as well too, right? Like if they're more, Islamically oriented, yeah. Then I can maybe toss out Alhamdulillah, Mashallah, Subhanallah. Yeah. Somebody doesn't really use that kind of language, and let's say profanity is their norm. That I'm not saying I'm using profanity, but <laughs> you should clarify yeah. that right now. <laughs> Disclaimer. But then I'm not going to just toss in or just randomly just kind of insert that stuff. So I think okay. wearing different hats is not like a sign of nifaq. But some people I've heard say that, like no. Uh, I mean, even literally for me. So there's obviously like libas that people who traditionally study usually they'll wear. Yeah. But I only do that when I tell people when I'm on duty. Right. Right. When I'm off duty, as I was before, I usually yeah. don't do that necessarily. Right. And it's like, well, the same way that anybody else would do for a lot of their work. Usually, yeah. you don't wear your work uniform, so to speak, outside. Yeah. And yeah. There's a whole discussion about whether it should be worn 24/7. Let's kind of leave that aside. I don't think anybody's interested in that. But yeah. The idea now for most people is that uh, there are multiple. They're trying to juggle multiple identities. Yes. Right? And I hate to go back to the cliche thing of identity, more Muslim identity issues, but that is kind of the core of, uh, at the core of a lot of these issues, is that we're being told Islam is a way of life, it's perfect, and that should be everything about me. But then there's obviously clearly issues that I can have with it. Yeah. And then everybody else around me, they don't have that identity, whether claiming to be Muslim or otherwise. Like they're practicing some, a certain way, they're speaking a certain way. Even if I see a family member or even my own parents sometimes forcing me to do some outwardly Islamic let's say exoteric or superficial stuff, like praying yeah. and fasting, hijab, all that. And then in terms of their etiquette or their behavior, it's, I'm seeing something else about Free that. for all. Yeah, lying or maybe financially, I see like lying, stealing, whatever it is. Yep. Like, okay, so it seems like they've got a different identity. Yeah. And subconsciously, I'm understanding that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then when they're out and about and they're talking to other people, maybe yeah. like neighbors that are non-Muslims or their colleagues or uh, classmates, it's a different language over yeah. there. So I'm like, okay, so there's multiple stuff going on. So is it like, this some sort of allowable taqiyya that I can just go yeah. and, and just switch up how I am all the time? I didn't I know this was in the rule book. I never saw it. Yeah. yeah. So these kind of things are not there. I mean, how many times have you been told, like, what, how do, you know, what are the actual ways, if you call them rules, for how to act with, let's say, when you're around Shias only? When you're around Muslims, that might be comprised of Shia and Sunni, or maybe even non-mainstream. Maybe there's some Ismaili or others right. that are there too. Like, okay, are there some different rules that we engage in there? Now, let's just say that it's only non-Muslims that I have when I'm dealing with them because I went to public school, right? So yeah. do I talk to them a bit differently? Like, how right. do I engage? So I don't think people are, are trained for that kind of stuff. I mean, we barely are trained to talk to each other in the first place, right? Yeah. Like Shia to Shia, 
um, spouses to each other, parents to kids, kids to parents. So we yeah. don't really have that sort of communication. So to be able to take that out and now expand it and say, yeah, how do I communicate with any other group? We're just compounding the problem, like, I don't know, like almost infinite, right? Well, I think the hard part is when you tell someone you're Shia, the first thing they do is like, oh, I don't want to, I don't know what that is, so I'm going to Google I Googled it and find out. I was like, this is not what I want people to think of, but that's what comes up. So it's kind of hard, like, yes, you're owning your identity, but how do you, like, explain that identity yeah. in a 20-second soundbite, which is what people's attention spans are these days. The short soundbite, yeah, that's definitely one issue, like we said, like the depth and breadth that we need to have, and then to try to somehow filter it down for other people, it's a difficult thing. Yeah, somebody sees this, they see, you know, these pictures, which even for a lot of, let's say, people who convert or revert to Shiism, it's difficult for them to, still too. Yeah. So how does a person, whether they're, let's say, classically trained or otherwise, how do they do that? Because there are obviously a lot of respectable community members yeah. who engage in these practices. Yeah. Maybe their mudra allows it, it's fine. Yeah. And I don't want to toss them under the bus. Like that, I don't think that's the right thing to do at all. No. Uh, even if, let's say, my mudra may not allow something like that, okay, fine, but maybe their mudra does. And maybe I may not agree with it, but... I can still explain it in a way where I'd want to. Like, okay, they are still my Muslim brother, whether sure or otherwise. I should still be able to defend them in front of other people. Yeah. I can still say, look, they're expressing love. People sometimes express love in different ways. This yeah. happens to be it. It's not something that I personally practice. It's not yeah. a religiously prescribed thing. But just like a lot of religious stuff, it ends up being cultural. There are different ways yeah. we can go about it. And like, and that's what happens with emotions. Usually when somebody goes through some intense emotional uh, trauma or experience, the it's not usually the first thing that how is this religiously sort of filtered and what's the best practice possible yeah. usually it's the it's a it's a very visceral kind of gut reaction of how do i react to this right so it's yeah. not like kind of filtering it through islamic sources and that's regardless of whether somebody's sunni shia muslim or otherwise a lot of people right. are, are i think like that yeah um i think as we go through this world i mean just navigating this conversation when i think through everything a lot of what we're feeling especially you know whether it's this post-covid world and then we're, we're seeing in the world these days just what's happening in the middle east we're feeling a lot of exhaustion, a lot of burnt outness, a lot of like, oh my God, how do I keep going with this? Yeah. Like when you go to work, you're not focused on work because you're thinking of everything else. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions on how people can deal with this, you know, and not having this kind of passion for life? We're all kind of feeling a little meh these yeah. days. So I think a part of it is, you know, they always say that there are some things that are extreme issues. It's not good to normalize them. But these things, like let's say uh, feeling a little spiritually uh, weak, or you know, don't not having that charge, or kind of spiritually powerless, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. To I think normalize that as something that everybody goes through. I think is is it helpful? So I go through that a lot. Okay. And. I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. Yeah. Everybody can go through it. And Ulema have discussed how yeah, this, this happens for people. And we have yeah. specific ways of dealing with that. So, so I'm going to start with that before going to, let's say, more kind of modern practices and stuff. So let's just say, for example, one day, I'm just like extremely tired throughout the day. A lot of just kind of stress, anxiety is building up. And I'm not feeling, let's say, my best Muslim self, I'm going to put it that way, right? Maybe on my best day, yes. Uh, I want to pray right as soon as the Adhan comes. Yeah. I want to pray right on time. Uh, go through a lot of mustahabat, maybe yeah. a longer surah as the second one, maybe yeah. a lot, nice long kunut the afterwards. Whole thing, yeah. Yeah, like with all the bells and whistles, sort of yeah. thing, right? Like, okay, sometimes you're in that mood, you want to do that. Yeah. And sometimes you're just like, ugh, I don't feel like waking up. Okay, fine, maybe I'll wake up a little bit later. Maybe I'll snooze, snooze, snooze. All right, it's almost sunrise. That, that's okay. 
some people that might even be the norm. That's fine too. As long as, again, everybody's a bit different, but for a certain group, that as long as they're not breaking up into haram, like, okay, fine. You're allowed to do it within a certain range. Once you get up, you are performing your wudu. What is the bare minimum you have to do? Most people, the way that we perform wudu has a lot of mustahabat and recommendations along, and it takes a little bit longer. I mean, it's not like I'm saying like 10 minutes added, but for some people, it adds no, a lot of time. My Fajr wudu is a lot shorter than my yeah. Zaharas or Mokarisha yeah. wudu. <laughs> Which is a fair thing. Now, if somebody, let's just say, knew that, hey, to fall back on, as the Ma'asumin have advised, whenever you're not feeling yourself in that state where you're really interested in doing the recommendations, stick with the bare minimum. So, okay, maybe right now, I'm just gonna do the bare minimum for wudu. I'm gonna run out, maybe I'll skip adhan. I'll skip aqama, I'm just gonna do Allahu Akbar. I won't even raise my hand. I'm just gonna do the bare minimum yeah. namaz, salah, which will take, at, I mean, my speed's a little faster because I got the New Jersey accent, so I talk fast, <laughs> even in Arabic. So I can breeze through namaz in like a minute or two. It's done. A minute or two? Yeah. All right. With proper makharaj and everything. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a minute or two. And that's it. I won't do a tasbih anyway. Yeah. I'll, I'll, if you know the wajibah, it doesn't take that long, actually. And yeah. then I'm done. And having that let's say last resort, so to speak, or call it a plan Z if you want. Like, yeah. okay, now if later on I feel that charge later, okay, fine, I can add on stuff. But yeah. having that, I think, is an, a weight lifted off of shoulders. And I think people don't know that that is an, a, an option that they can do. Master may have advised it. It's not like a cop-out. It's like, no, this is what you do. If you force yourself to do these, like, are we to put on or whatever, when you're not feeling it, it's going to harm you. Your soul yeah. is not going to like that, right? Yeah. It's going to get annoyed with, with the stuff and then it'll grow up and be like, you know what, I don't even want to do this stuff anymore. Yeah. So that's more of, let's say, the kind of direct Islamic instruction. Now to tie in some sort of, let's say, modern, uh, let's say, neuroscience and stuff like that, which I don't always do, but it's, sometimes I think it's beneficial, is, uh, so I, I like Dr. Andrew Huberman, I like his podcast, I like some of the stuff he says. So the way he describes it, which I think is really good, is that a lot of people, because the way that they're going about stuff is that they are specifically goal-oriented and goal-driven. So when it comes to, let's say, working out they're like the actual workout is not interested interesting for them the exercise is not interesting the diet's not interesting they're just waiting for the results and that's actually what's going to give them their dopamine or serotonin right. response and that, that's what they are he said you need to retrain yourself so that the actual journey sorry to sound cliche but that's the way he yeah. just explains it the actual work you're putting in the struggle the journey that actually gives you the dopamine response that actually does well so okay. in, in, for at least me too when i was initially starting off with my islamic studies i was looking for answers yeah like, okay why wasn't I born a Masum? That's not fair. If yeah. I was born like the Masumin, then I wouldn't be sinning. Why did these 14 individuals get it? And these prophets, why yeah. did they get that yeah. special status, VIP? I don't yeah. get it. It's not fair. Like, I don't understand. I asked my teacher, why not? And he tried to give an answer and I wasn't satisfied. Right. And I was really upset. So that's not fair. But little by little, as he, my teacher showed me, like, look, your job right now is to see the variety of ways you can come to answers, not to find be-all, end-all answers. And actually through that research or different epistemologies and all this other fancy stuff, you actually get more sukun and itminan and peace and tranquility from that. And it actually happened. I now love sort of plurality of opinions and approaches more than anything else. Yeah. The research is actually really interesting for me. Okay. When somebody, let's say, pokes a hole in an argument, I love it. So I love Socratic method and dialogue yeah. and things like that. I'm like, okay, I didn't see it from this angle. Yeah. Let's, let's look at that too. Yeah. Let's jump into that research and dive into that. So I think for people, if they're feeling that, uh, kind of that man or you know, just like kind of burnt out. Sometimes it has to do with not having a purpose. Some people, I don't know if they do have it or not. For some groups, it may be that case. They just don't know where they're going in life. Yeah. That's fine. They have to kind of sit there and work through, where am I going? I mean, that, that is a kind of very default, you know, religious answer that, yeah, when God's in your life and you have a deen or religion that's pointing you, that gives okay. you purpose. Yeah. But sometimes people who have, I believe in God, I believe in the Quran and the Ahlul Bayt, 
but I'm still feeling that. Like, okay, then there's other factors involved there too. And again, sometimes it's related to the practice like we talked about. Yeah. Other times it has to do with some of these kind of tertiary or secondary or tertiary issues that maybe there's some issue that I've been trying to answer and I haven't gotten a satisfactory answer for it. Okay, well, have you been researching? Have you been hanging around other Muslims? So there's yeah. other kind of factors that are there too. Sometimes it's even something very, very simple. Not enough sleep, yeah. not the right kind of food, not the right kind of ibadat. So there's two ways to look at it too. So it's some, there's general answers, like we've said, and there's generally speak, uh, or what I've seen more, more often than not is that for every individual, it's pretty specific. Yeah. Every specific individual will have a reason for their life's journey of why they're kind of approaching the right, at this moment, why they're kind of feeling stuck. And okay. there's gonna be a specific spiritual prescription for them to kind of get unstuck, I'd say. Okay, no, that's really interesting, yeah. Um, I think sometimes whenever I'm going through something and I'm like, oh, well, why? Like, why this problem? Why? Like, I'm so tired. And that's when my namaz is kind of at the 11th hour and it's just, it, I do it just to say I did it, but I know I need to do it. Yeah. It's just not the best. It's like a lot, I just don't know. But I'm praying and that's all I have today. So I think more people go through it than we realize. Um, so one of my, um, what, so when I talk to a lot of friends, one of the things that comes up just being in the community is that the frustration around getting married, especially women. Um, do you see that this is an issue, whether it's getting married or increasing divorce rates? Because a lot of the people I talk to when they've been divorced, they're like, I married a Shia. He turned out to be the worst person, human being I could find on this earth. Um, are you finding that in your community or you don't have to speak to your community specifically just in general because it's it really has become an issue because when people are alone for too long it you either get used to alone you become bitter you become sad yeah. it's not the way that a lot of us who are single want to live we'd rather have that spouse and then when people are in bad marriages where men are oftentimes i should say men are a little bit tougher abusive all of that they're not living the islamic way um, how do you think that we should solve this? Because I see it as an issue just talking to my friends. So as a community leader, have you seen this? Yeah, uh, I've seen it in multiple communities. I would say nearly every community. Okay. I'd say it's the exception where you have communities that are designed that are trying their best to avoid the problems, right? There yeah. are some, and this is where, again, maybe slightly controversial, but I think those who have stuck to sort of the traditional ways of going about this stuff, I'm not saying fully arranged, but some level of arrangement or community involvement in, let's say, the investigation process, so to speak, or even I'd say interrogation, which I think is actually a better word. Yeah. Uh, that I think that does avoid a lot of a lot of things. What I've seen some communities now push for. So let me step back a second. So the terms that are being used by a lot of uh, scholars now. So I'm, I'm good friends with um, Sheikh Mohammed Saadi, right, who's in Dallas now. So he's, uh, him and his wife have put this uh, foundation together, or SHIELD, right? Where they're working on trying to build Islamic, wholesome sort of families. So he's been doing these workshops. And a part of that is a sort of almost three-pronged sort of attack, right? There's like pre-marriage workshops, yeah. marriage, and then I guess you can call post-marriage, so to speak, right? Or okay. the post-marriage usually has to do with parenting, but okay. sort of okay. like that. It's not the most precise terms to use. Technically, it's all regarding marriage, but it's the simplest way for people to understand, Timelines, right? Yeah. Like, what happens a lot of the times is that people don't have that pre-training. They don't yeah. know what to look for in a spouse. Besides like, okay, sometimes they'll get superficial stuff. Like, okay, they have to have this level of outward practice, okay. right? Or for some people who are a bit more culturally leaning, like they have to have this kind of 
cultural practices specifically, right? You have to come from this family. So there's a lot of superficial markers, which those superficial markers are, okay, they might be nice secondarily, but not primarily. Yeah. And even when people, I think, when they try to think of primary markers of religiosity, I don't think they're actually looking at it in a proper Islamic way. I mean, you said it yourself, like the Islamic sort of way. You'll find people who might be able to do the praying, the fasting, hijab, and all this other stuff, but their actual lifestyle is not Islamic at all. Okay. They're not living as a Islamic husband. They're not living as an Islamic wife. They're not living as an Islamic father or mother, whatever right. it happens to be. Yeah, sometimes there are issues that in-laws can bring, communities. Yes, yeah. there's other ways of looking at it too. But in terms of people within areas trying to find people, let's say primarily, I'm sure they would want to look in their own community. Yeah. When you have some communities, they have the resources there. They try to do whatever various events in there. I think they minimize uh, the issues that we're, we're talking about. The ones that don't really do that, it can become more difficult. The ones that are kind of on their own looking out, that they're kind of forced to, let's say, have a relative from outside, relative from overseas, kind of look on their yeah, behalf. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, we know this good boy, we know this good yeah. girl from whatever. Good. Uh, yeah, we know this good person, good job, good. educated. <laughs> so I'm not, a, I, these are all trigger words for me. I don't, I don't like any of these terms, right? <laughs> um, and I know a lot of ulama, when people are kind of put together, yeah. but they are, I mean, they interrogate people like, like they're in Guantanamo, like harsh interrogations, <laughs> really, really harsh, because they're like, we need to get down to this. Uh, even when I've done, let's say, premarital counseling before with couples who they were interested in each other, and they said, "Yeah, we've gone through everything." Yeah. I said, but can we just sit down, just for this, just say that we said we sat we down did with it. you? I'm like, oh, sure, I can get the, I'll give you the stamp of approval. Sure. Sure. I sat down, and I mean, I don't want to say they're completely arrogant, but they felt like, yeah, we talked about everything. Young people as they are, right? So I said, <laughs> okay. So I have my list ready. So I asked them like one thing about. I said, okay. Um, you guys have talked about, you know, like work stuff, moving. Yeah. Like, yeah, we talked about all that. Like, okay, cool. Uh, you talked about kids? Yeah, we talked about kids. Like, okay, great. So when uh, your kids are ready to start school, yeah. what are you going to do? Are you going to do public school? Are you going to do private Islamic school? Yeah. Are you going to do homeschooling? Yeah. Are you going to do private, maybe charter, like Christian school? Right. Private, whatever, public? All these options, right? Options. And then, and then, so I forgot which one was which. One of them was like, obviously public. The other one said, well, obviously Islamic. And then they looked at each other. And then I was oh like, my God. I said, this is why we do this now. Yeah. And like, imagine your child is of age and yeah. now you're talking about this stuff. And yeah. you guys are adamant about your positions. Okay. Like, at least now you can sit and hopefully civilly talk about this stuff too, because this is very clearly important to both of you. You need to figure this stuff out. And both of you are going to think that one of them, I mean, not to bring into the whole kind of, because uh, no. the schooling debate is an important one, but yeah. a lot of people think that their Islamic schooling is the only way right now. Some right. people say, no, even these Islamic schools are not that great. Homeschooling can be the only way if you can yeah. do it. Even some say, no, homeschooling, if you don't know what you're doing, it actually can be more detrimental than yeah. everything else. Yeah. Public school, well, I mean, there's a lot to say there, but public school, oh my God. pretty terrible option nowadays. God help you. <laughs> Especially if you're in a blue state, it's really bad. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's tough. And every, again, every family, they're in a different situation as well. So that's an essential conversation to have. Yeah. And not every couple has thought about that stuff ahead of time. Yeah. Now, again, in-law stuff. Again, I'll talk to other people. They said, okay, so my, they'll say, my parents expect us to come and visit this many times a year. And when we come, we're going to stay with them the whole time. And the other one will say, I, that's not what I'm thinking about. Like, yeah. like okay, maybe like once a year we yeah. can maybe go and visit them but what about my parents or what about my family I've got people overseas too yeah. and then going there there's a, so there's a lot you know it, it gets in depth so yeah. there's a lot of stuff to talk about so I think the way that I think maybe both because I know you mentioned it with sisters initially I've seen it with men too okay. where they have a specific expectation that they're looking for and sometimes you find them sometimes you don't okay. and sometimes you're able to I, I think 
those personality types they're looking for are available, but there's nobody really networking it properly. I, I do. I would say that they are improving though. Okay, they have these conferences, they have this sort of events going on, yeah. they have they have websites. Again, I'm not promoting any of this stuff, but okay, there yeah. are various different resources out there. So I think that is helpful. But I think more importantly, it's people them being able to figure it out. I mean, my own teacher, what he had told me when I was um, when I myself was interested and I was looking, he said, look, if you can't figure out whether somebody's going to be a good spouse within a few weeks to a month max, he's like, you're not asking the right questions. Okay. I was like, what? A lot of people, I know they're sort of, uh, you know, talking phase can happen for like almost six months to a year for some yeah. people, right? Yeah. And then, so my teacher was saying, look, if you've gone that long, what are you talking about? It's like, is it like, well, do you like sushi or not? Well, what's your favorite kind of sushi? What kind of movie do you like? <laughs> it's like, these kind of things, like, that's not what you should be asking. It's like, yeah. is this person going to be a good father or mother and create supporters and soldiers for the imam at the time? It's like, that's what you need, what you need to ask. Yeah. Are they going to treat you the way that Imam Ali treated Bibi Fatima? Are they going to treat Bibi Fatima as Bibi Fatima treated Imam Ali? It's like, these are the things you ask for. Are they a role model? Is that what you actually live by? What are your the biggest weaknesses? You have to be honest. Yeah. I'm going to go ask your friends and they have to be honest too because this is what the Sharia says. You have to be honest when somebody's interrogating this stuff. Yeah. Go find enemies too. Enemies will give you this stuff, right? Yeah. And, and we, yeah. So when you have multiple people involved, they're asking the right questions, I think you can't avoid it completely. People can change, definitely. Okay. But I think it gives you a good picture of somebody's kind of spiritual, intellectual, and emotional trajectory. Okay. Right? If somebody's got anger issues, it should, be, it should come out. Yeah. Right? It, it should. should be known ahead of time. Like, look, I got a short fuse. I got a temper. Can you handle that or not? Right? I don't think, it's, hopefully it won't lead me to physical violence or abuse, but that's the way it is. Do you think people are that honest? Um, Self-honesty is, I think, is the worst kind of, the most difficult kind of honesty, right? So I think people are quick to rationalize away or hide some of that behavior. In that situation, especially because people, are, especially those who are, I don't want to say desperate to make it sound like it's a negative thing, but those who are really looking to get married, again, for the right reasons too, they may think it's okay to hide some of these things because that'll prevent them from getting married. So I think may, somebody might want to hide this kind of stuff. I'm not saying you just say that, oh, you know, I did this kind of stuff when I was younger, here's all my sins. That may not be the best way of going about it, yeah. but at least showing somebody, look, I do have deficiencies, I have difficulties, yeah. is this something you can handle or not? Yeah. Are you willing to sort of work with this stuff or not? Yeah. And the same way, the other person that they're speaking to, they have to be able to do that too because, you know, personality types, love languages, you know, these are terms that people throw out now, nowadays. Yeah. Not everybody's okay with understanding and working with different languages. And you can't work with it, then let's, let's stop now. Like, we should yeah. be able to know what those kind of red lines are. Uh, so that's usually why an outside party, uh, whether it's an alim or somebody else in the community or elders or yeah. a marriage community, whatever it is, they have to be the ones to do the tough work, the research and all this other yeah. stuff and help out people there. I mean, in, in the corporate world, you're going to have these headhunters and recruiters. They're going to do this stuff. Right. And nowadays it's worse than ever because they'll find out, hey, did you say free Palestine? If you did, then <laughs> you know, forget it. You're not, you're not going to work you're for out. us. You're out, yeah. So, or if you made this random post 20 years ago. So I'm not exactly pro that that kind of them. I think like yeah. the way the auntie mafia kind of is super, let's say nosy, like, okay, yeah. this is the aunties, this is the one time you should actually be able to do it. Yeah. Find out the details about both of them, whether it's from some village, wherever, yeah. or even over here. And just because they got a degree, it doesn't mean much. Yeah. They might have no degree and that can make them a lot better than anybody else. So yeah. when you're looking for the right things, you know how to look and how to interrogate and investigate, then I think hopefully, inshallah, a lot of these issues might be able to be avoided. Yeah. Yeah, no, those aunties will find that information. Um, we'll have to leave it at that. I just wanted to ask you, so which one do you like better, New Jersey or Florida? Oh, Florida, okay. 100%, 100%. Okay, 
Thank you, Zaytazm, for today's insightful discussion. A special thank you to our listeners and a heartfelt appreciation to the 39th Annual Muslim Group of Canada and the U.S. Conference for collaborating with Sukun, a Muslim wellness podcast by Nasimko, making this broadcast possible. Find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or nasimko.org. Also, tune in to Nasimko Radio on our website and the Nasimko app, available on Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Your contributions support the quality and reach of Nisimco Radio and the Sukun Podcast, fostering unity, knowledge, and spiritual growth within our community. To contribute, please consider donating under general fund at nisimco.org. Until next time, salamun alaikum.